to Philippians chapter 1. We're continuing our fall series through this book. Philippians is located in the New Testament. It is uh, after Romans and Acts and so forth and, and well before you get to Hebrews and Revelation, but it's just four chapters, so you don't want to miss it. It's sandwiched in there. Uh, trust me, you will find it. I invite you to take a pew Bible if you don't have one handy and turn your attention to Philippians chapter 1. We are continuing through this fall series through the book of Philippians, we're on week four or so of this. This is this book that the Apostle Paul wrote to this early church in Philippi, a city located uh, just at the tip of the Aegean Sea. Uh, The Apostle Paul is writing in about the year 65 A.D., 15 years or so after he was involved in establishing, establishing this new congregation. He writes now, Uh, having completed his second missionary journey, his third missionary journey, and now in prison in Rome. This is where he's writing from. In prison for this heinous crime, this horrible crime, preaching and proclaiming salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, to God's glory alone. Paul sits in a prison cell And as you will see as we move into these verses, he's reflecting, he's aware of the uncertainty of the length of his earthly life. But what I want us to see so clearly is the absolute certainty that he has of the purpose of whatever life he has remaining and the hope that he has of great gain on into eternity because of Christ. Oh, what it would look like for us, each one today, if we would have just a measure of the hope that he expresses for our lives to be lived for Christ's purposes for whatever amount of time we have and to have the type of uncertainty that we should have about the length of our days and instead the confidence of our gain into eternity. Read with me, and I invite you to stand as well. Philippians chapter 1. We'll actually start with the last uh, five words of verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage... Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray again for our time in God's Word. Father, we ask now that you would come in a special way, superintend that these verses, these 
passages you have conveyed to us for our benefit today would work for our transformation. Cut deep, we pray, into our lives. Let us leave here changed, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my Grammy is my only surviving grandparent. She lives in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, not too far from a not-so-happy valley today. She's lived there on uh, just a street or so off of Main Street in a two-story row house that they have been in since my father was a child and growing up. She's been there all of those years. This is the same small town where my parents met back in the early 80s. My poppy died, my grandfather, Grammy's husband, and she has never remarried all those years. She's seen a bit of life, and she's seen a bit of family and friends succumbing to death. Thankfully, she's still got her characteristic sense of humor, and so I can remember not too long on a visit there as we were putting away some groceries and putting some produce out on the counter that she said this joking comment. She said, Chris, when you get to be my age, you don't buy green bananas. When you get to be my age, You don't buy green bananas. If we slow down and think a little bit about that simple statement, it's actually a good one for us to take heart today. Whether we're 8 years old, 18, 38, or 88, hear this today. Our days are all numbered. Our days are all numbered. So we look at these verses today and read these words that Paul has for us. In particular, I want us to focus in on this verse 21, which reminds us of this life-transforming reality that if we would take to heart, who can imagine the ways that our lives would be changed? Verse 21 For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you want to follow along with me in your worship guide, you can turn to the back section right near the back page of the worship guide, and it has a section for you to write down a main idea. I think it's pretty straightforward for these verses, but I'll add a little bit to what the Apostle Paul says here. That is that because the gospel is true, because the gospel is true, We should live this life for Christ and trust that our death will be gained. We should live this life for Christ and trust that our death will be gained, if indeed our hope is in Christ today. That little verse 21 is a a tough one, isn't it? The Apostle Paul doesn't mince words here. He doesn't throw in a bunch of flowery language. He cuts straight to the heart of the issue. And it raises a couple of very big questions for us today that if we're willing to take and receive them, 
I think could have a powerful impact on our lives. And it's simply this. If we think about verse 21 and had to write that sentence for ourselves, or if someone around us, close to us, that knows us well, were to write that sentence for us, what would it say? What would I write about myself? For me, to live is blank. What goes in that blank for you? What goes in that blank for me? Apostle Paul is challenging us that what should be in there is Christ, knowing Christ, celebrating Christ, resting in Christ, following Christ, worshiping Christ. That's what's to be in that blank. But if you're like me, there's a lot of other things crowding for that little place on the page. What about the other part of Paul's statement? He says, to die is, and what would we put in the blank there today? We probably, many of us, know the the right answer. It should be heaven or it should be eternal relationship with God. That's not how we think about it day to day, is it? If it was, it would change the way we are in a radical sort of way. I thought about these verses and I thought about my children. When sometimes they are called to dinner or maybe it's time to go to bed or even as they're playing with one of their other toys, they are called to come and maybe even receive a greater, a better toy. In the Peter's house, it would probably be the 5,000 piece Death Star from Star Wars Lego set. That would be the ultimate. But if they can't see what they're about to get, if they can't see what they're being called away from, all they can do is look at that toy that they've got in their hands. It might be the oldest and crustiest. It might be one Lego block. They're going to cling to it, not let it go. might even have a temper tantrum at being called away from that. Like a lot of things, for those of us that had the chance to be around little ones, we look at it, we shake our heads, you know, what's wrong with this little one? <laughs> and then if we think about it, isn't the same exact thing true for us? Whatever we put in that blank, for to me to live is blank. Whatever's in that blank for you, those are the things we cling so dearly to, don't we? And we do not want to let go and trust to the Lord. So Paul's got a challenging statement for us today. And as we look at these words, again, I want to focus on this verse 21, where it says to live is Christ and to die is gain. A couple initial responses you can have, even if you say, okay, you know, I believe the Bible and I know the Apostle Paul is speaking for God. A couple of reactions we still might have. One would be, well, he's just, he's just using hyperbole. He's just kind of getting carried away. And, and kind of going overboard with his language here. So that's one uh, response that we might have to this. It might also be asking us this question. Is, is the Apostle Paul, is he just expressing to us some kind of super spirituality that really only he is supposed to attain? So is he kind of going overboard, and is he kind of talking about super 
spirituality. Well, if you want to, you can turn with me in your Bibles back to Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark there at the beginning of the New Testament, or towards the beginning of the New Testament, I should say. Chapter 8 of Mark in verse 34 through 37. I just, all I want you to see here is uh, it's not just Paul pitching this line. And it's not just Paul going overboard. Jesus seemed to think basically the same thing would be really important for us to believe. Verse 34 of Mark 8, he says, And he called to him the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will in fact save it. Or what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Sounds like Jesus and the Apostle Paul, not surprisingly, are on the same page. We think about these verses, we think about life and death, what it means to live for Christ, what it means for death to be gained. Certainly our hearts and minds are rightly drawn on this particular day, ten years after the events of 9-11, to the events that took place there, and to the evil and destructive actions of a few men wreaking havoc on the lives of thousands of people and taking many thousands of lives. It's interesting, though, if we're to find some redemptive value, and this wouldn't be all we could find from it, but I think there's some things we can take away today, even as we look at these verses, that surprisingly, uh, those men who falsely thought that they were going to some eternal bliss as they brought about horrible evil, actually can benefit us today. It benefited us over the years as we have realized that it's a false thing to put our trust in this life as individuals or as a nation, to say that somehow our military and our economy are going to be able to protect us from anything. Maybe those things aren't as secure as we thought they were. They showed us that. They also showed us this interesting thing. In their evil intentions, in their destructive intentions, showed us what people can do even if they're falsely believing that by giving their life there would be some gain to it. So we look at their destructive and evil purposes. It challenges me to think about what would it look like For me, what would it look like for the church, for this church and for the church worldwide to have this kind of mentality that the Apostle Paul says to say that we believe because of the gospel that death, our death is going to be gained. And so our lives are completely freed up to live for Christ, to be consumed in Christ. What good, what blessing, what joy, what power would come to the world if we really embrace that? invite you to... Consider that today. We take a look at this verse 21 again a little more closely. I've got a couple of 
points. They won't be hard to follow on your outline there. Uh, Number one, I've actually flipped them around, and I want to start out by talking just a couple of minutes about this idea that death is gain. It seems maybe to some of us that have been around the church for a while, okay, I understand death is going to be heaven. I'm going to heaven because I believe in Christ. But Paul even takes it a little further than we might be comfortable with. Death is gain. And if we're new to the gospel, the reality of Jesus laying down his life for sinners like all of us and paying for us to secure eternity, then it it really might be a particularly challenging statement. So let's take a look at this. What does the Apostle Paul tell us? He tells us that death is gain. And then in verse 23, he explains it a little bit further. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. Do you believe that today? We enjoy a lot of nice things in this life, even in the midst of ups and downs and difficulties we face. It's hard to remember and believe that going to be with Christ in eternity is far, far better than what we experience here today. So he tells us that, and as I thought about that, I remembered a story I'd heard accounted by Randy Alcorn, who's a contemporary writer, of going to a certain modern Egyptian town. He wandered with a tour guide who was taking him back through some garbage-strewn alleyways and found their way to a graveyard, an old dilapidated graveyard at the back end of this alley in this Egyptian town. And it would not be a terribly important site at all, except for one gravestone that the tour guide pointed out to Alcorn. has the name William Borden on it, and the years 1887 to 1913. If it sounds like an English name, that's because it is an English name, and if it sounds a little bit familiar... That's because Borden, at the age of 21, was the heir, had inherited the millions possessed to the Borden Dairy Estate. His life had been changed and transformed by Christ, so he made it his great purpose to give a lot of those resources to the furthering of the gospel to the nations, but he wasn't even content enough with that. He decided that himself would leave his privileged and, and, and incredibly wealthy background and go. Specifically, he wanted to reach Muslims who were living in the country of China and reach them with the gospel. So in order to do that, he had to stop off in Egypt, now at age 25, so that he could learn the Arabic language in hopes of communicating with those folks in China. Well, he got a disease, spinal meningitis, I believe it was, and he died right there in Egypt. And there sits that gravestone at the end of that garbage-strewn alleyway. It has a few words on it detailing his passion, Borden's passion, to share the message of Christ and salvation through him with the entire world. And then it ends with this statement on the tombstone apart 
from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there's no explanation for such a life in Christ. It's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? To the world, to our worldly mentality, we say or could be prone to say, what a waste. This 25-year-old man didn't even make it to his destination that he was seeking to go and died of some illness along the way. There's no explanation for it. But the other side of that sword is far more beautiful, isn't it? There is no explanation outside of the work of Christ for that kind of transformation. What kind of transforming work is Christ doing in my heart, in your heart, today? Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 40, 54, of why we can believe that death is gain. You don't need to turn there. I'll read it for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54 and 55, he says this about the work of Christ, why we can have full confidence that death will be gain. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason we can have this kind of mentality. That's what makes sense of Borden's life, and that's what will make sense of us giving our lives more to the glory of Christ. I like what uh, Dr. Barnhouse shared with his children. Barnhouse was a a well-known pastor of a prominent church in Philadelphia for years. His uh, wife uh, had passed away at a young age, and he, with his little children, were headed on their way to the funeral that sunny day. They were driving down the road in their car, and Barnhouse, heartbroken himself, is looking for a way to encourage his little children with what has happened in this situation. They pass by a delivery truck coming along the other way along the road on that sunny day. The truck passes, and then they see the shadow of the truck come over their car. He said to his children simply but profoundly, Kids, do you see that truck? Do you see its shadow? Which would you rather be hit by? Kids said, the shadow. He said, indeed, Jesus was hit by the truck so that we would only have to be hit by the shadow. That's what the gospel is. That's what the gospel means when it says to us that to die is gain. Now, if you're like me, perhaps a little bit, especially in my early years, even becoming a believer, I came to faith in my high school years at a retreat, and really, I didn't, at that time, seem to have much use for discussion of heaven and hell or even life and death. All I realized at that point was I knew that there was a living God that I was not 
following Him with my life and pursuing His commandments, that He designed me for relationship with Him, that I defended Him by the way I had lived, and that He had sent His Son, Jesus, to reconcile all that, to bring all that together and to show me His love. And so that was the important thing for me. And so if I were at that time to hear a sermon like you all are hearing today, I would be prone to check out a little bit. And to think, oh, it's just a a little bit of fire and brimstone, perhaps. A little bit too much emphasis on far-off realities, right? Let's not be uh, so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. That would have been my approach. And uh, I've certainly not achieved any ripe old age, but those 20 years that have passed since then, I think... As I've seen my own sin and frailty, as I see sin and frailty and brokenness around, has begun to plant in me a little bit of longing for heaven. No rush to get there. The Lord will take us there when it's time for us to get there. Uh, the Lord even this week gave me a, a comedy of errors in my own life, to kind of a comedy of situations in my own life to help me remind, uh, remind me of this. Uh, early on the week, I, I managed to bite the side of my mouth, so that's always fun. You get that little, you know, get a little sore inside of your mouth for the rest of the week. Then by Tuesday, I was full blown into another sinus infection, just a month after the previous sinus infection, which wouldn't be noteworthy too much for you all. But uh, Tuesday night, after sneezing profusely, probably 30 times, and when I sneeze, I don't sneeze a little uh, lady's sneeze. I sneeze full force. I was at home standing in my kitchen. My sinuses driving me crazy, wanted to rip my eyeballs out. And I was so happy that I was going to get a sneeze and clear some of this thing out. I sneezed so hard, folks, I couldn't rotate my neck for the next couple of days. I was, you know, it's just one of those weeks. It went from bad to worse. I'm trying to get better from my cold, and I've damaged my neck. Those little things are good reminders, probably nothing compared to some of the things that uh, perhaps some of y'all out there are wrestling with week in and week out, physically or mentally or spiritually. But boy, we ought to thank God for those reminders that this life really isn't all we try to pack into it and that our death, in fact, will be gained because of Christ. What does this mean for us? I'll quickly bring this to a close. Our second point. What it means for us is that if we really begin to believe that, that death is gain, then it's going to transform this life and what we live this life for. And that's what the Apostle Paul was saying. And this life is going to become about Christ more and more for us. Turn with me again to that Philippians passage, Philippians chapter 1. He says a couple of things that that this will mean. He says in verse 22 that if I'm to live in the flesh, that'll mean fruitful labor for me. Then he goes on in verse 24. He seems like he's now getting some confidence that he is going to survive. Remember, this is a guy sitting in prison waiting for Caesar to decide if he's going to live or die. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary. For what purpose? What's the purpose? On your account, he says. I know I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, 
that you'll have cause to glory in Christ. Believe me, folks, there are a lot of purposes that we have uh, summed up under the work of Christ in our life. But the Apostle Paul is telling us here is that at least one of them is to be less concerned about our own health and health care and fitness and all of the things that we would try to pile in and wrap up to get the most out of this life and to say, you know what? I want my life to be about Christ, about knowing Christ, and he says specifically here, serving Christ in such a way that it's fruitful labor for the Lord, that we are part of bringing joy to other people around us, that people are drawn to see the glory of God because of us, because of how we serve them, because of how we love them. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. So far from the idea being that we can be so heavenly-minded that our lives are no earthly good, the Apostle Paul says exactly the opposite. He says, please let your minds be so focused on the fact that you will enjoy eternal gain because of Jesus, because when you do that, pay it backwards. (laughs) It's going to come back and transform our lives each and every day so that we'd find great joy in living for Christ. What's it mean for you today, for me today, to say that we believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain? Some of you know that I have uh, been working for some time now on plugging my way through a Ph.D. in history studies at the University of Alabama. As I've been Working on those, uh, and I guess I I haven't shared too much about it because when you tell people about something, then they know about it, and then they ask you about it, and I'm honestly not sure if I'm ever going to finish, but hopefully we'll work our way through there. You can gauge my progress through it by the age of my oldest son. I started when he was born. So we're hoping by age 10 that we'll get things done. As I worked on those studies, I've looked at this guy, and I've spared you all from hearing about it, but today I think it's very pertinent. His name was James H. Devotee, and I'll close with this. James H. Devotee is a really interesting character to me. First of all, he was a Baptist pastor in the 1800s in Alabama and Georgia, and with a name like Devotee, what better pastor's name could you get? I mean, that just makes Peters look like small change, but devotee is wonderful. And then it's uh, not too bad for the old research online either because that's not too common a name. I've studied this man, devotee, and he did a lot to build up the church really into what it was today. We assume the influence of that church and that denomination in our, uh, our state, in our neighboring state. We kind of assume it's always been that way, but it wasn't. It took people devoting themselves to it. But what's most interesting to me about this man, James Devotee, is his personal life. He was born in 1813, lived all the way to 1891, almost 80 years, which is a long time at any period in history, especially during that time. As he went through those years, he outlived all four of the children born to his first wife and his first wife, and outlived four of the five children born to his second wife. Just his wife and one of his children remained 
when he died. Talk about somebody that's familiar with suffering, that's wrestling with this life. All of this, of course, against the black backdrop of the suffering in the South during the Civil War as well. He wrote these words that I'll leave you with today. In a poem that he wrote around the ripe young age of 75, as he was still committed to serving diligently for the Lord in every way he could, after he had recovered from an illness he thought would take his life, he wrote this. Delightful health revives again. Freedom from feebleness and pain. With grateful thoughts, I worship thee for thy great kindness, Lord, to me. This life which my God prolongs unreserved to him belongs. May I every day fulfill his most righteous, blessed will. May I earnestly pursue all the work given to do. When the final change shall come, gladly ready to go home. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you for the time we've had today to consider this simple but profound statement in your word that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, Lord, let it transform all that we are for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.